What you are about to hear is a podcast from sessions recently conducted at the Bridge to Life 2018 Couples Retreat. This is entitled Finding Our Ultimate Protection with co-founders Don and Becky Smith. Finding Our Ultimate Protection. Uh, Can I just say, uh, obviously, it comes from the Lord. He's our protector. Over and over again in Psalms, he talks about he is the one who protects us. And uh, no one, nothing else, can really do it satisfactory. Which leads to the question that's in your notes here, which is a very serious question. Is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Lord of your marriage? Um, I think we get so busy with things going on in the busyness of life that, yeah, uh, we, we trust God, we go to church, we, we, we believe in God and such, and then we don't allow him to be the center, the one who really helps us make a commitment to, to trust him in everything. Um, I believe we've learned to live lives that require very little of any of the resources of God. If God were to take and be taken out of our lives and out of our marriage, would anything be different? Would people notice anything different? No, because we just, we're just fine, kind of just functioning, and we've learned to make life work. And what I'm saying, what would it look like this next year to just take and say, we're going to trust God in some supernatural things and say, we're just going to trust God to come through and uh, depend on him and allow him to be in, uh, we'll be vulnerable to him working in certain areas of our, our heart and our life, the way we speak to each other, the attitude, the way we see each other, the way we serve other people. We want it to be surrounded by what God wants, which leads to the verse in Matthew 6.33, uh, if you want to jump to that verse on the, is it up there? Seek, um, I'm skipping a point, but I'll come back to it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I, uh, I really appreciate this verse. Our, our verse, or our, our theme for our 35th anniversary this year has been um, building God's kingdom one marriage at a time. You see, we're not here just to kind of put some marriages together and help them be a little bit happier. What I've often said is if our goal is to make couples happier and we haven't transformed their lives by the power of God where they know Jesus Christ as their Savior and letting him be in control, what we're really doing is sending good marriages to hell because we're just seeking happiness. And the reality is, is, is that when I seek God's kingdom, which means his, what God's will is, what he wants to do, how he wants to take and draw people to himself and, and uh, to work in people's lives, I want God's will, not my will. And if I'm committed to what God is up to, not what Don Smith is up to, it changes the whole picture and the decisions that I make and what we do in our marriage relationship. I've considered a privilege to be able to work together 
with Becky over the 35 years of Bridge to Life in, in a partnership. And I know everybody can't do that, and I'm not even suggesting that except to say um, it's been special to, to have a purpose together. And I find it just disturbing when a couple has totally separate lives and very little in common. It doesn't mean you have to do everything together, but to even share your own passion for God in the same way. And one of the things I hear over and over again in counseling is my spouse has no desire, interest in God. How do I get them to do that? And I don't know if it's so much how do you get them to do that as are you passionate in praying for them and encouraging them and being the example of God that you should be instead of bugging them all the time? And so let me go to the question that's in the notes here. Are you seeking righteousness or happiness? I would say if I, one of the questions I ask in counseling uh, quite often, so what, and usually with the first session, so what do you, what do you want to get out of counseling? Because what they think and what I think may be totally different, and I want to make sure, are we on the same page here? So I'll ask, uh, what, what, what do you want to get out of the counseling? And, uh, and quite often I'll hear a comment, something like this, well, uh, I, the husband will say, I just want to make my wife happy. You know, um, we, we, just, we just want to get along. And seldom do I hear a comment like, can you help us understand God's love for us in such a way so we can love each other better? That's really where it all goes. Because if I don't know God's love for me, how can I know how to share real love for Becky? Because it's really going to be a selfish love. I want her to make me happy. And I would say, if you, if you really test your own heart and say, what is the deeper motives of my heart? How much is it really about me then, and making me happy than it is I'm willing to do whatever furthers God's kingdom and his purpose, and I want to love Becky well. As I've said before, and forgive me for repeating it, but I believe the question that God that we will in some way be asked when we get to heaven, and of course the salvation issue is already taken care of because you wouldn't be in heaven if you weren't born again. But uh, I don't think God will ask, Don, uh, how good was your marriage? You know, uh, I don't think God cares a whole lot about how good my marriage was. I think he's much more concerned about how well I love Becky and how well Becky loved me. Because we're responsible for how we love. And if you read in Ephesians and over and over again, it doesn't say work hard to have a happier marriage. It says, Don, lay down your life for your wife. And what does it mean to do that? And by the way that I lay down my life for, for my wife shows the type of love I have that glorifies God. On the bottom of the page there, I... I some, as I was making notes and such, these are some notes I felt like I've got to put in here. But we are not, you know, when it's all about us and being selfish, uh, selfishness usually doesn't make us happier. There, there was a study done, and I don't know all the details. I've heard it a couple of times in, in the research. I read a little bit about it. But 
it said what they did is they took um, some individuals, a group of individuals, half of them, they said, just go find happiness. You can, and they gave them all the money they needed, uh, I think within reason, um, to, to go buy anything they wanted or do anything they wanted just to be happy. Then they took the other group, and what they said is invest three hours, I think it was a day, um, in the lives of some other people. In other words, give yourself to someone else three hours a day. And uh, so they did this for a while, and then they asked which group was more happy. And you can guess, the ones that were happy were the ones who invested themselves in someone else. My point is, if you're consumed with yourself, you're going to be more and more miserable. It's just the way it goes. Um, when our kids were uh, little, um, and we, Halloween is coming up, as you know, and by the way, uh, Halloween is Becky's birthday, and so uh, we always, it always rains and is cold on your birthday, trick-or-treating, but uh, the kids go trick-or-treating anyhow, but they get all this candy in their bags, and um, of course they want to eat it all, and we would put it on the top of the refrigerator, their bags with their names on it, and uh, they would, we would say, and we'll give you a little bit each day. Of course, they'd cry and whine for their candy. And so what, what we would do is, finally, I'm just sick and tired. I don't know if you kids remember this. Um, maybe the older ones would. But uh, So we, one time, I just set the kids down at the table and said, I'm going to give you all of their candy. And they were so excited. And we set the bag in front and said, start eating. So they're starting. And pretty soon they're what they think is done. Nope, keep eat, eating. We're going to eat it all, you know? You want it? You got it. And uh, pretty soon they couldn't stand their candy. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, do you remember that? Any? Tammy, do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. It was you. So, uh, evidently it didn't work too well. Um, but, but uh, you know what? When we indulge and think we want something, we, we begin to find out it's not what we want. In Psalms 106, the children of Israel were complaining about not having everything they want. The cha- Psalms 106 talks about God leading the children out of Egypt, out of bondage, crossing the Red Sea, through the wilderness. He provides water. He provides food, manna. And he's taking care of them. And in it, it says, and they still grumbled. Uh, in fact, let me read it so you get the full context. Uh, part of it I have memorized, but uh, let me give it to you. Psalms 106. It says this. And so God had done all these miracles for him. And then it says, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave into their cravings. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. Here's the key verse. So he, referring to God, so God gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In other words, he said, okay, you can have it, but it's not going to satisfy you. The King James says it this way, he gave them the desires of their heart, but sent leanness to their soul. Folks, whatever you're searching for apart from God will not satisfy and you become more and more angry and more and more empty. 
And so my question simply to you this morning is, are you willing to take and say, we want in our marriage relationship God's righteousness. We want to build his kingdom. And if we do, you know what? Then we can solve and we can work on the things. If we struggle with porn, if we struggle with uh, selfishness, if we struggle with um, communication or addictions uh, or social media and drinking or whatever, you know, make the list. When I have a purpose, I can say I can make some of these tough choices in the, in the sense that I will battle those. It doesn't mean we're going to have victory over them that we'll never struggle again, but it means I know what I'm fighting for. And most of us lose that along the way. So go to page 2 or 12, really. Um, do you want to be healed? Uh, I... In just thinking through some of the areas of my life, I, I think I'm so used to struggling with things that I just kind of take them for granted. And I think of the story of um, the, the fella at the well, or at the spring. Uh, how do you pronounce it, Beth? Bethesda. I always mispronounce it. Bethesda. I do, I do. Bathsheba. And... Um, uh, so, so Jesus is, is, is there, and there's this guy that's been waiting 38 years to be healed. And evidently, when the water trembled, which meant an uh, angel had touched the water and it trembled, the first one in the pool would be healed. And this poor guy physically could not get to the pool in time. And so he's waited 35, 38 years, and... Nothing's happening. So Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get well? I wouldn't be sitting here 38 years if I didn't want to get well, you know. And uh, of course he does. I, so I find it interesting. Why would Jesus ask this question when it's so evident? Except I think he wants to know, do you really want it? And I, I would say, I would say, we're, most of us here would all say we want a deeper, richer relationship, one that honors God and such. I don't think, I doubt there'd be very few, if any, that would say, no, we don't want that. But the real question is, do you want to pay the cost to get it? Do you really want it? Because then you start to make different decisions. And with Becky and I, there, there's been some times in our marriage relationship where we've had to sit down and say, Here's some things we're going to have to decide to do if we want God to be in control or to face some certain problems. And uh, it hasn't always been easy. But let me go to the next point. What if we do not find the healing we want? What if our marriage doesn't really go deeper the way we want and there's some struggles, our spouse is reluctant and there's some Issues in, uh, that aren't uh, all fixed. And we have to keep struggling with certain ones, which is usually the case. I like the story uh, that Paul, or his testimony, Paul shares in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Um, uh, but dear Paul um, struggled a lot. Something physical, but also 
Uh, you, you know, in uh, May, I was in uh, Turkey and went to, uh, to Ephesus, and Paul spent about two and a half years in Ephesus ministering. And, uh, and as you read the accounts and such, he was persecuted, not only in Ephesus, but in other places in that area for preaching the gospel. And uh, he kept on being faithful. And when, as I was there, and literally, there's a lot of stones there, uh, the walkways and such are the original Ephesus. They only have about 20% of the area excavated. But uh, literally, you're walking on the actual stones that Paul would. And I tried to just think, what would it be like to be Paul and walking in a perverse environment and trying to be a witness because there was uh, Artemis, the, the god Artemis, and, and other idols and temples that were there. One of the things that Ephesus is famous for is the library that is right uh, there. Uh, I should have brought, shown you some pictures. Um, and, and it's one of the big deals of that time. Uh, it's a two-story library that uh, recorded a lot of stuff. But um, what's significant about the library is right across the street from the library is a brothel. And there is a tunnel that goes from the library to the brothel. And uh, what they say is men, so it didn't look so conspicuous that they were going to see prostitutes, would go to the library and then sneak under this, through the tunnel um, and go to the brothel. Sex was a, a immorality was, was rampant. As you walk down the street, and I have a picture of it, coming from where the ships came in and the, the guys came off the ship, there are carvings, advertisements in the stone. And one of the stones, about like this, has a heart on it with a picture carved in it of a woman and an arrow pointing to the brothel saying, if you're looking for love, go to the brothel. That's how blatant it was. And what I'm saying is, so what is it like for Paul to minister in an environment where the idols and the immorality and such, and he still preached the gospel and he stood up and was strong. And one of the things I walked away with is I want to be strong like Paul. I don't face very many obstacles, but I don't want it any doubt that I'm making an impact for Christ in this culture and in our marriage relationship. And I'm just saying, are you willing to make the cost to take and to say, we want to use our marriage and we're going to struggle with things and maybe they won't get solved, but we're going to trust God. And so let me read to you about what Paul um, wrote here about his thorn in the flesh. And he said this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpass, uh, surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with God to take it away from me. But each time he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what I'm saying is all of us struggle with something. 
individually and in our marriage relationship. And some of us may be discouraged because we don't feel like God is taking away what we're struggling with. And I think what Paul is saying this, whether God takes it away or not, by the way that we respond to it, God, you're sufficient for me to struggle with this or with a spouse who doesn't respond the way I think they should be. But in it, you're making me stronger. You're taking and helping me be more Christ-like. And by the way that I respond to these difficulties, Christ is glorified. One of the things I find very impressive in working with couples sometimes that are in really difficult situations and dealing with some real obstacles, but yet they're trying to trust God in the midst of it. And Do they struggle? Yes, immensely. But you know what? I can see Christ in them by the way that they're responding that I would not see in any other way. And my question is, do people see Christ in you? Do they see, yes, do you struggle with whatever in your marriage relationship? But by the way that you handle it, do people see Christ? If Becky and I were struggling with some serious problem, you know what? I would want to talk to one of you that has struggled with the same thing. To say, how have you learned to trust God in this? You know, what I'm saying is God can use our weakness and such not only to glorify him, but to help other people that are struggling with the same things. So to what degree are we really allowing God to take and uh, get the glory? Because I'm seeking his kingdom first. I've shared this with you, um, you know, if you took the marriage class at some point. But um, when we started the ministry in 83, I realized I needed more education. So I I decided to go to uh, Grace Seminary in Indiana each week to take classes. We couldn't shut down Bridge Life because it was just busy and growing. And uh, so I talked to them and they said, come down one day a week, take all day classes. And then so on, usually it was Wednesdays, I would drive down to Indiana early in the morning take classes, come back that night. And um, in the midst of it, I begin to learn some things about myself that, uh, you know, I'm pretty messed up. I thought I was a pretty good guy, really. Um, But like I struggle with things that I didn't realize and I'm beginning to understand why I struggle with some things that I knew I struggled with. And so I get through this one part of the program. I'm sitting down with Dan Allender. And I said to him, you know, I have learned so much. And I'm really trying to allow God to work in these areas because most of all, I want an open heart for God to work, whatever he chooses to be, to do. And I said, and I'm understanding why I'm struggling and I'm trying to work in these areas. And so this is my last session with Dan during this course of the program. And I said, am I going to be okay? Am I going to get over this? And because uh, I, I see what's wrong and I'm working on it. And um, am I not going to struggle with this anymore? Can I find some victory? He just looked at me, shook his head, no. Like, what? I've paid money for this course. I've, I've come to it. I've invested. I've done all my homework. I've gotten A's and all this. And then you're saying I'm going to keep struggling? And here's probably the most important words he ever said, I've ever heard said to me. He said, Don, your struggles keep you dependent on God. 
And if your struggles were to be taken away and you don't struggle anymore, what would you need God for? And I know Don Smith, because if I didn't struggle anymore, I'd say, thanks, God, I'll call you if I need you again. But I'm doing okay now. And I think God wants to say minute by minute, day by day, would you trust me? Be totally dependent. And God knows what each one of us needs. And what I'm saying is in your marriage relationship, I, I, I would love it if you didn't struggle anymore. But if you're struggling, it's opportunity for God to show himself real on, his, on your behalf to, to say, here's who I am and here's who I can be. And what do we want to do? We want to give up. It's not going the way I think, and I don't want to struggle anymore. And my friends say that I shouldn't have to put up with this. And on we go, which are lies from Satan, rather than God saying, but I am sufficient for your needs. And so my prayer this, this weekend as we come to a close is simply this. Is God enough? And if he isn't, Lord, you know, I, I, I can't remember the, um, oh, Jacob. Uh, remember when he's wrestling with God and he says, God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Do you have that same fervor in the sense of, and I, there's been times when I've struggled where I say, God, you know, I'm not giving up, but I'm not letting go until you are enough for me in this. I, I, I don't understand why we don't get help when we're struggling and we go it alone. We don't go ask somebody, you know, I'm struggling and can you help me? We don't see a counselor, a pastor, or a friend, or someone godly. Um, in counseling, sometimes I'll suggest, you know, here's some passages in the Bible to read, or here's a book I want you to read and such. And, uh, well, we haven't had time, or been busy, or I don't like to read, and da-da-da. Man, if you had cancer, you'd be doing some reading. And you got cancer. So let me end with this. With me going through my two cancers the last uh, year and a half about. Um, you know what? How did we find out I had cancer? On Thanksgiving, which would be two years ago this coming Thanksgiving, we were at our daughter's in um, Detroit with her and her family, and uh, I had a kidney stone attack. And I've had those off and on a little bit over the years, and it's like, man, I was throwing up and just in pain. And uh, so I'd had the small attacks, but nothing serious. And so it's like, I got to know, is this going to go away or do we need to do something about it? Because probably 15, 20 years ago I had them and uh, we had to get them blasted. And so we took and um, we came back to Mesquite and made a point with the doctor. He said, well, let's take some x-rays to see how big they are and if they need, they can pass on their own or not. And in the process, looking at the x-ray, and my kidney stone was on this side. They said, uh, we, we checked your kidneys and there's a mass on your right kidney. And we need to get it checked. And that led to, you have cancer on your right kidney. We wouldn't have known. There was no pain, no symptoms. But, but 
what I'm saying is we need to examine ourselves to see if there is cancer. And some of us aren't taking the time to really look at anything. There's no pain, so we're just going to continue. And I want to say that many of us in some way have cancer. And we need to start getting some MRIs or allowing God to take and to look inside of us to see what's going on. And in preparation for communion, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about those who partake should do it worthily. But in verse 28, it says, a man ought to examine himself. I... I don't want you to leave without God having the opportunity to examine you and you being honest with him. Folks, I don't think we have a whole lot of time left. I've said this for 15, 20 years, but, um, you know, I I don't know how much time we have. But the reality is, is that... um, I want to make sure... Nothing's hindering me from being all that God wants me to be in our marriage. Yes, you know what? Uh, Can I be stubborn in our marriage? Yes, but not as stubborn as her. And, uh, but uh, you know what? I got to deal with my stubbornness. And I reluctantly admit my stubbornness. She has to kind of look at me a certain way. But uh, you know what? It's there, but because I want to put God first, I'll admit my fault. Why is it we're so afraid to look bad? There there was a guy in counseling here just about two, three weeks ago, just after getting back from my surgery stuff, getting back into counseling. And um, and, and I, I, I had said something about, he, he, he just seemed really irritable and... Um, um, asked if he was angry. No, I'm not angry. You know, and, and he said, the last counselor said I was, had an anger problem, and I don't. And I, I'm offended that you would think I have one. And, um, and he claims to be a Christian. And, and then the last counseling session I had with him, I think it was last week, he said this. He said, he said Don, you said that my wife walks, because I was trying to explain, I think, how, how they're interacting, because He's oblivious. He just wants his wife to treat him a certain way. And I, I said, I, I think she's probably walking on eggshells. And he puts up his hand and says, can I say something, Don? I am offended that you would say my, wa- my wife walks on eggshells. And I'm just being honest with you, Don. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, said, I said, well, those were my words. But I said, why don't you ask your wife how she feels? And uh, so he turned to her and says, you don't think I'm, you walk on eggshells with me, do you? She said, yeah, I, I feel that way a lot. And then he was really angry. And, um, <laughs> and, and my thing was, and why are you so afraid of looking at it and taking ownership of it? You know, we're somehow afraid to be bad. Can I say something? We're already bad. Whatever any one of you think of me right now as bad, that's great. Because I'm ten times worse than that. 
you see? But I have a loving Father, Heavenly Father, that knows me and all my wretchedness, and He still loves me and pursues me and gave His Son Jesus Christ for me, and I'm still loved. You know what? So I don't have to worry about whether you like me or not, because I'm worse than you think I am. And I'm still loved. And I would say, so get over being liked or what people think of you and your pride because your pride doesn't mean anything. Okay? It's, it's of Satan, just bluntly. And so I just say, Lord, it's about you. And my worth is in you. Take my pride away again. If you would like to correspond with Don and Becky, simply use this email address, bridge to life and the two is the number two bridge to life at hotmail.com i'm mark moore for bridge to life